0: I'm strapped into the cockpit, the harness biting into my shoulders and waist. The console in front of me blinks with a hundred tiny lights, each a silent sentinel in the cramped space. My fingers dance over the controls, a rehearsed ritual to calm the storm of nerves. Outside, through the thick glass of the cockpit, stars twinkle against the void. They seem so distant, yet tonight, they're within reach. Our mission. Imprinted into every briefing and every simulated run is a simple declaration with monumental weight. Test the new wormhole drive. It's a leap into the unknown, a dive into the deep end of physics and fantasy. The engines begin to roar, a deep, guttural growl that builds into a deafening crescendo. It vibrates through the ship, a mechanical heartbeat that drowns out any lingering thoughts. I can feel it in my bones a resonant frequency that speaks of power and danger. My hand hovers over the ignition sequence. The final checks are complete. Every system is green. My mouth is dry, and my heart hammers against my ribs, a caged animal frantic to escape. The mission control's voice crackles through the calm, steady and calm. Ten seconds to launch, they count down. My eyes fix on the digital clock, its red numbers counting backward inexorably. Every tick is a step closer to the unknown. Five, four, three. The words echo in the cabin. My grip tightens on the armrests, knuckles whitening. This is it, the moment of truth. Two, one. There's a pregnant pause, a brief moment where the world seems to hold its breath. We launch! The ship lurches forward, a beast unleashed, The force presses me back into my seat, a relentless, crushing weight. My vision tunnels as the ship tears through the atmosphere, a bullet fired from the Earth's gun. The stars that were once distant are now a haze, streaks of light as I punch through the sky. The roar of the engines is all-encompassing, a thunderous anthem for our ascent. As the Earth falls away, the cockpit is bathed in an extraordinary glow. The blackness of space envelops us. A velvet backdrop pierced by the diamonds of distant suns. The final frontier, vast and uncharted, awaits. The moment I engage the wormhole drive, the universe itself seems to unravel. Outside the cockpit, space itself contorts, warping in ways that defy the senses. The familiar texture of the cosmos with its scatter of stars and the velvet darkness morphs into something alien and unsettling. The colours that bloom before me are beyond description, hues that don't exist in any earthly palette. They swirl and twist, forming a vortex that the ship hurtles towards inexorably. It's like diving into a prismatic abyss, each colour bleeding into the next in a kaleidoscopic whirlpool. Inside the cockpit, The hum of the ship's engines reaches a crescendo, a mechanical scream that resonates with the bending of space. My body feels the strain, a bizarre, elongating sensation as if I'm being pulled through an invisible taffy puller. It's disorienting, this stretching and skewing of my physical form. The ship shudders violently, a spasmodic dance as it contends with the gravitational forces that warp and weave around us. Every bolt. Every plate, every inch of metal groans under the stress, a symphony of strained material pushed to its limits. The sound is unnerving. Then, as suddenly as it began, the chaos ceases. The violent shaking subsides. The groaning of the ship's frame eases, and a heavy silence fills the cockpit. It's a silence that's almost deafening. I glance outside, and the spectacle that greets me is one of uncanny calm. The wormhole's exit looms before us, a circular window to another place, another reality. The colours fade, leaving behind a view of space that is both familiar and utterly foreign. The sense of elongation, the stretching of my body recedes. I'm left with a tingling sensation. It's a physical memory of having traversed a boundary not meant to be crossed. As I emerge from the wormhole's embrace, The ship steadies itself, sensors recalibrating to the new environment. The stars outside are in positions that make no sense, constellations unfamiliar and uncharted. It's a clear sign that I've arrived somewhere wholly different, a mirror dimension where the rules I know might not apply. As the ship stabilizes in its new orbit, I'm confronted with a sight that is at once hauntingly familiar and deeply unsettling. Below me sprawls Earth, but not as I know it. The vibrant blues and greens that should paint the planet's surface are gone, replaced by an ominous palette of darkness and desolation. The oceans, vast and sprawling, reflect a deep, inky blackness, like pools of oil sparkling under a dim, obscured sun. They're still lacking the dynamic swirl of clouds and weather systems that I'm used to seeing from space. It's as if the lifeblood of the planet has turned dark and stagnant. The landmasses are no less disconcerting. Shades of grey and muted browns dominate, with none of the lush vibrancy of vegetation or the twinkling of city lights. It's a barren, lifeless tableau that stretches from coast to ghostly coast. Forests, mountains and rivers are all there, but they're like faded memories of the earth I know drained of colour and vitality. I scan for signs of life, for the familiar glow of human civilization. but there's nothing. No cities sparkling in the night, no highways lined with the movement of vehicles. It's as if humanity has never touched this place, or worse, as if it had been erased entirely. The silence from the comm system is deafening. I send out hails, standard greetings, and emergency broadcasts, but there's no response just a hissing static that fills the cabin, a soundtrack to the desolation outside. The isolation is complete, a solitary existence in orbit around a world that is Earth in shape alone. This mirror Earth is a puzzle. It's familiar in its geography, but everything else is wrong, skewed. It's like looking into a mirror, expecting to see your own reflection, but finding someone else staring back at you. The unease that creeps up my spine is perceivable, a physical manifestation of the wrongness of it all. I know I must go down there, must investigate this dark mirror of our world. But as I prepare for descent, I can't shake the feeling of dread that clings to me, a premonition of horrors yet to be discovered. This earth, so like and unlike my own, holds secrets in its silence, secrets that I'm about to uncover. The descent is a silent glide through the alien atmosphere of this mirror earth. My ship, a lone speck against the vast canvas of gray, descends toward a sprawling barren field. The landing gear deploys with a mechanical whirr, the only sound in an otherwise silent world. With a final gentle jolt, the ship touches down, stirring a cloud of ashen dust that quickly settles back to the lifeless ground. Exiting the craft, I'm immediately struck by the oppressive atmosphere. The air is stale, like the breath of an ancient tomb long sealed from the world. It's a struggle to fill my lungs. Each breath is a laborious draw against a reluctant environment. The stillness is absolute. There's no breeze to stir the air, no rustle of leaves or distant calls of wildlife. Even the sound of my own movement seems muffled, as if absorbed by the dense atmosphere. The sky above is a perpetual twilight, a dimming light that offers no warmth, only a pervasive gloom. The sun, hidden behind a veil of unending dusk, casts weak, diffused light that barely penetrates the gloom. It's a monochrome world, drained of vibrancy, a canvas of shadows and fading light. As I step onto the surface, the gravity asserts itself with a heavy hand. It's stronger than Earth's. A relentless pull that makes every movement feel labored. My muscles strain against the increased weight. The silence is overwhelming, a weight on my ears and mind. It's the kind of quiet that amplifies the smallest noise, turning the simple act of breathing into a thunderous event. The lack of sound feels unnatural, an absence that sets my nerves on edge. Surveying the barren landscape, I see fields that stretch to the horizon, devoid of life or color. The ground is covered in a layer of dust and ash, as if the earth itself has been burned and left to smolder. There are no signs of civilization, no roads or buildings, only the endless expanse of desolation. I take a tentative step forward, leaving a deep footprint in the soft, ashen soil. With each step, I'm acutely aware of the solitude that envelops me. It's a world abandoned or perhaps never inhabited, a place where the rules I've known no longer apply. As I venture further from the ship, the sense of isolation grows. It's a tangible force pressing in on me from all sides. After traversing the desolate landscape for what feels like hours, the silhouette of a city materializes on the horizon. As I approach, The details become clearer. Towering buildings, streets, bridges, all mirroring the architecture of Earth. But there's a crucial element missing. Life. The city is a ghostly shell, an urban expanse devoid of its most vital component. Skyscrapers stand like silent sentinels, their glass windows reflecting the dim light of the obscured sun. They loom over the streets, imposing yet hollow. There's no movement inside, no signs of occupation. It's as if the inhabitants vanished, leaving behind a concrete and steel mausoleum. The streets tell the same story. Cars are parked or abandoned in lanes, their colors faded, coated in a layer of the same ashen dust that blankets the landscape. Doors are ajar, interiors exposed yet untouched like still life exhibits in a museum of the everyday. Traffic lights dangle lifelessly, their purpose rendered obsolete in this silent city. Compelled by curiosity, I enter one of the buildings, pushing open a door that resists slightly. Its hinges complaining in the silence. Dust motes dance in the slivers of light that penetrate the gloom, highlighting the absence of human presence. The silence in the building is absolute a suffocating void that amplifies the sound of my own footsteps. Each step raises a puff of dust. The walls are faded, peeling, bearing witness to the relentless march of time in a place forgotten by the world. A sense of waiting pervades the atmosphere, a tension like the breath before a storm. The feeling of being observed creeps over me, a prickle at the back of my neck, an instinctive response to unseen eyes. I move cautiously through the building, past empty offices with desks littered with the detritus of a bygone daily grind. Coffee mugs, framed photos faded by the sun, papers scattered and yellowed. The personal touches intensify the sense of loss, the abrupt abandonment of normalcy. The deeper I venture, the stronger the sensation of being observed becomes. I pause, listening intently, but there's no sound to validate my unease, yet... The feeling persists, an unshakable certainty that I am not alone in this desolate urban labyrinth. Exiting the building, the sensation follows me, an unseen presence that hovers just at the edge of perception. I scan the streets, the windows, the shadowy alleys, but there's no one, nothing to justify the creeping dread that tightens its grip on me. As I navigate the desolate streets, a brief motion catches my attention— It's subtle, a mere wisp at the edge of my vision. I snap my head towards it, but there's nothing there. Just the empty street and the silent facades of buildings. The brief sighting sets my heart racing. It's the first sign of movement I've encountered since arriving in this desolate world. I strain my eyes, scanning the area, but the street remains empty, the quiet undisturbed. Doubt creeps in the logical part of my mind suggesting it was just a trick of the light or my imagination running wild in this unsettling environment. I decide to leave the building, stepping back into the open street. The air feels heavier outside. It's an oppressive feeling, one that raises the hairs on the back of my neck. I can almost sense eyes on me, tracking my movements from unseen vantage points. As I walk, I keep a vigilant watch on my surroundings the abandoned cars, the darkened windows of buildings, the narrow alleys that branch off the main road. All potential hiding places for whoever or whatever is observing me. The city feels like a maze designed to disorient and confuse, its layout familiar yet foreign enough to keep me on edge. Every so often I catch another glimpse of something, a shadow that seems to move against the stillness of its surroundings. But each time I turn to look, I'm met with nothingness. The fleeting nature of these sightings only adds to the growing unease. It's as if something is deliberately staying just out of sight. A predator stalking its prey. The rhythm of my footsteps bounces off the buildings. A lonely sound in the peaceful city. I quicken my pace, eager to put distance between myself and the unnerving sensation of being followed. Yet the faster I walk, the more pronounced the feeling becomes. I stop suddenly, listening intently. Silence greets me, but it's a silence filled with anticipation. The sensation of being followed is now a tangible presence, a weight on my shoulders that makes me wary of every shadow and every sound. The logical part of my brain tells me I'm alone, that it's impossible for anything else to be here. But the primal, instinctive part of me knows better. There's something in this city with me, something lurking just out of sight, existing in the periphery of my vision. The realization hits me. The shadow is not just a passive observer, it's actively pursuing me. Panic surges through my veins, a potent mix of adrenaline and fear compelling me to run. I sprint through the streets, my boots pounding against the cracked pavement, the air, Heavy and thick resists my every breath, but fear propels me forward. The shadow is a relentless pursuer. I can sense its presence close behind me, a constant pressure at the edge of my awareness. It's fast, unnervingly so. A fleeting glimpse in my peripheral vision confirms it. A darker patch of blackness against the grey backdrop of the city, moving with unnatural speed and fluidity. The city becomes a blur as I navigate its streets. My mind races as fast as my legs, trying to plot a course, to find some advantage in this nightmarish chase. The buildings tower over me, their windows like dead eyes that observe my flight with cold indifference. I don't dare look back. The urge is there, a primal instinct to see my pursuer, but I suppress it. To look back would be to acknowledge my fear fully, to give it power. Instead, I focus on what lies ahead. On finding some semblance of refuge in this desolate urban jungle. The shadow's movements are silent. There's no sound of footsteps, no laboured breathing, nothing to suggest a living, physical entity. It's as if it's a part of the city itself, a manifestation of the desolation and despair that clings to every building and street corner. I make a sharp turn down a narrower street, hoping to lose my pursuer in the maze of the city. The buildings here loom even closer together, their shadows merging into a near-constant twilight. My heart pounds in my chest, a drumbeat that matches my frantic pace. But the shadow adapts quickly, its pursuit undeterred by the change in terrain. I can feel it drawing closer, an oppressive force that seems to feed on my fear. The streets become a winding path of survival, each turn and twist a desperate bid to escape. My lungs burn with the effort and my muscles scream in protest, but the terror that drives me is relentless. It's a primal dance of predator and prey, played out on the desolate stage of this alien city. I realise, with a sinking feeling, that I cannot outrun this entity. It's an integral part of this world, as much as the air I struggle to breathe and the ground beneath my feet. I push my body to its limits But fatigue is setting in, muscles burning with the exertion. In my frantic escape, I fail to notice a jagged piece of debris lying in my path. My foot catches on it, and I stumble, the ground rushing up to meet me. I hit the pavement hard, the impact jarring my bones and knocking the wind out of me. Dazed, I roll over, pushing myself up, and that's when I see it, the shadow. It stands before me, no longer an elusive pursuer, but a tangible entity. For a moment I'm frozen, my fear a tangible thing that roots me to the spot. The entity is vaguely human in shape, but there's something profoundly wrong about it. Its form is nebulous, edges blurring and shifting as if it's not entirely present in this reality. Its skin is a pallid grey, the colour of ash, stretched tight over a skeletal frame but it's the eyes that truly haunt me, empty hollow sockets that seem to stare into my very soul. It leans closer and I'm struck by the absolute absence of sound it makes. Even now, mere feet from me, it moves in utter silence, a living void. Then it whispers, a sound like the rustling of dry leaves. The language is unfamiliar, guttural and clicking, resonating with a chilling cadence. I can't understand the words, but their effect is undeniable. The being exudes a sense of surrealness, a creature from another reality. I scramble backwards, trying to put distance between myself and this apparition, but my back hits a wall. Trapped, I can only watch as it extends a hand towards me, the fingers long and thin, ending in sharp, shadowy tips. In this moment, fear transcends into terror the realization that I am utterly alone in this encounter. The rules of science, the laws of nature as I know them, offer no solace or explanation for what stands before me. The entity's movements are slow, deliberate, as if it's savoring the moment. There's an intelligence in its actions, a purpose that I can't comprehend. I'm left with a sense of profound vulnerability, an intruder in a world where I do not belong, at the mercy of forces beyond my control. As the shadow looms over me, its form ever shifting, I brace myself for what comes next, caught between the primal urge to flee and the paralyzing grip of the unknown. More of its kind begin to materialize from the surrounding darkness. They emerge from the alleyways and behind the desolate buildings, a silent procession of nightmarish figures, Each one is a distorted echo of the first, their forms human-like but twisted, their movements fluid yet unnerving. They encircle me, a ring of malevolence that closes in with deliberate slowness. I feel the panic rise in my throat, a primal response to being hunted, outnumbered and overwhelmed. Suddenly they move in. Their hands, if they can be called hands, reach out for me. The touch of their fingers is like ice, a cold that seeps through my suit and into my skin, chilling me to the bone. They grip me firmly, their strength surprising, leaving me no chance to resist. I'm dragged to my feet and pulled through the streets. The city passes by in a blur, a monochrome landscape of shadows and despair. Their grip is unyielding, their pace steady. I try to struggle to break free, but it's futile. I'm completely overpowered. The streets twist and turn, a maze that confounds my sense of direction. The oppressive silence of the city is now accompanied by the soft, whispering sounds of my captors. It's an alien symphony, a chorus of clicks and hisses that sends shivers down my spine. Finally, we arrive at our destination. The building before us is larger and more ominous than the others. It towers into the sky, its architecture a twisted version of the modern skyscrapers I know, but with an air of ancient sinister grandeur. The facade is adorned with strange symbols and statues, figures that seem to contort and writhe in the dim light. The entrance is a gaping moor, an archway that leads into darkness. As I'm pulled inside, the shadows seem to deepen, swallowing what little light filters in from the outside. The interior is a web of corridors and rooms, each one more ominous than the last. It smells of decay and something else, something ancient and not of this world. We descend deeper into the building, down spiralling staircases and through narrow passageways. At last we arrive at a chamber, vast and dark. The shadows release their grip, leaving me standing alone in the centre of the room. The chamber's walls are adorned with more cryptic symbols, and in the shadows they seem to move, alive with a malevolent purpose. The chamber's unsettling atmosphere is abruptly replaced by the dark reality of confinement as I am roughly ushered through a narrow doorway and into a cell. The transition is jarring from the expansive cryptic chamber to the oppressive confines of a small dark space. The cell is crudely hewn from the same cold grey stone that seems to make up the entire building. Its surface is damp to the touch. Moisture seeping through the porous walls, lending the air a musty, earthy scent. The floor is hard and unyielding, covered in a thin layer of grime that clings to my hands and knees as I'm pushed to the ground. The only light comes from a small, barred window high up on one wall, too small to offer a view of anything but a sliver of the grey sky. It casts a weak, diffused light that does little to pierce the gloom of the cell. As my eyes adjust to the dimness, I become aware of the presence of others. Whispers echo in the confined space, a low murmur of voices speaking in cautious tones. The words are unclear, muffled by the thick stone walls, but the underlying emotion is unmistakable. It is fear, raw and unfiltered. The cell, I realise, is not solitary. Shadows move in the periphery of my vision, the outlines of other prisoners becoming discernible in the darkness. They keep their distance, huddled in corners or seated against the walls, their postures speaking of long-held despair and resignation. The realization that I am not alone in this mirror world is both a relief and a new source of anxiety. Relief, because there are others who share this plight. Potential allies in a world of shadows. Anxiety because their presence confirms the widespread reach of our captors and the likelihood that escape is a distant hope. Whispers turn to soft murmurs as the others become aware of my arrival. I sense their curiosity, feel their eyes on me, but none speak directly. It's as if they're afraid to break some unspoken rule, or that drawing attention to themselves might bring unwanted consequences. The air in the cell is cool and damp, a chill that seeps into my bones. The sense of dampness is pervasive. It's a discomfort that goes beyond the physical, though. It's the discomfort of uncertainty, of not knowing what fate awaits us in this alien and hostile place. The silence of the cell is eventually broken by a quiet voice. It comes from a figure seated in the shadows, barely discernible in the dim light. You're new, the voice says. A statement rather than a question. It's a rough voice, infused with a weariness that speaks of endured hardships. I edge closer, trying to make out the speaker's features. The figure emerges slightly from the shadows, revealing a face that's lined and weathered, but with eyes that burn with a determined fire. I'm part of the resistance, they continue, their voice barely above a whisper, We're fighting back against them. The shadows, the entities that brought you here. I'm immediately captivated by this revelation. The idea of a resistance offers hope in this oppressive place. The resistance, I ask, my voice a blend of curiosity and skepticism. Yes, the figure nods. We're a group of survivors. We're few, but we're doing everything we can to fight back. I lean in closer, eager to learn more. What happened to this world? I ask, my mind racing with questions. The cellmate's face darkens, and they glance around nervously before responding. It's called the Blight, they say. A force that swept through our world, changing everything. It turned the sky dark, killed the land, and... changed people. Turned them into those shadows. The description sends a chill down my spine. This world, so similar to Earth, yet so terribly altered fell victim to something utterly beyond my comprehension. How do you fight something like that? I ask, both intrigued and intimidated by the scale of the challenge. The resistance member's lips curve into a bitter smile. With difficulty. We have some safe havens, hidden places where the Blight's influence is weaker. We gather information, try to understand the Blight, and look for ways to reverse its effects. We're planning an escape, they add, their voice dropping even lower. We've been watching the guards, learning their patterns. We have people on the outside who can help us. The idea of escaping this prison, of joining a fight against an unimaginable enemy, ignites hope in my chest. The thought of taking action, any action, is a welcome antidote to the helplessness I've felt since arriving in this twisted version of Earth. We need every hand we can get, The Resistance member says, meeting my gaze squarely. Will you join us? Joining the Resistance means stepping into the unknown, facing dangers I can barely comprehend. But the alternative, remaining a passive prisoner in this dark, altered world, is unthinkable. I nod, my decision made. I'll join you, I say, my voice firm. The choice is clear. In this strange and hostile world, Resistance is a necessity. The Resistance member nods in approval, a spark of camaraderie igniting between us. As night falls, casting an even deeper gloom within the cell, we gather in a tight circle, our voices mere whispers in the darkness. The Resistance member, who introduces himself as Vincent, becomes the de facto leader of our small, impromptu council. The others in the cell lean in to listen. Vincent outlines the plan with a precision that speaks of careful observation and planning. The guards, those shadow beings, they're not mindless, he explains. They follow patterns, routines. We've been watching, learning their schedules. Vincent continues, his words painting a picture of our grim reality. They change shifts at regular intervals, and there's a brief window when their attention wanes. That's when we make our move. He points to a crude map of the prison carved onto the stone floor. There are three guards who patrol this block. During the shift change, there's a gap. Exactly seven minutes when their numbers are halved. The plan is daring, bordering on reckless, but the desperate gleam in Vincent's eyes is infectious. We'll create a distraction, he says, one that draws the guards away from the cell block. Once they're occupied, we move fast and silent. I can feel the adrenaline beginning to pump through my veins, a response to the impending action. What about the lock? I ask, glancing at the heavy iron door that seals our fate. Vincent smiles grimly. We have a man on the inside, a fellow resistance member. He's been working in the maintenance crew. He'll ensure the door is unlocked when the time comes. The plan hinges on precision and timing on each of us playing our part flawlessly. The risks are enormous, but the alternative, a continued existence in this dark, oppressive cell, is unthinkable. We'll need to split up once we're out, Vincent adds. Head for the rendezvous point in small groups to avoid drawing attention. From there, we'll make our way to one of our safe houses. The details of the plan are meticulously discussed each potential obstacle and countermeasure debated and addressed. Each of us is acutely aware that failure means a fate worse than our current imprisonment. As the night deepens and the time for action draws near, the tension among us grows. It's a living, breathing entity in the cell, a shared force that binds us together. We're a disparate group, brought together by circumstance and a common enemy. But in this moment, We're united by a single goal. Escape. The hours tick by, each minute stretching out as we wait for the signal. Vincent keeps a watchful eye on the cell door, his entire being focused on the task at hand. The rest of us prepare in our own ways, some in quiet contemplation, others with nervous energy. Vincent gives a sharp, almost imperceptible nod the signal we've been waiting for. Our hearts are pounding, adrenaline surging through our veins as years of pent-up frustration and fear are channeled into this single, decisive act. The cell door previously secured swings open silently. We pour out a flood of desperate hope, our movements honed by the necessity of stealth. The darkness of the corridors becomes our ally, cloaking our movements as we navigate the passages of the prison. Our group splits as planned, each subgroup taking a different route to minimize the risk of detection. I find myself with Vincent and two others, our steps synchronized, a silent dance through the shadowy halls. We round a corner and suddenly come face to face with one of the shadow guards. The encounter is unexpected, a deviation from the routine we had studied. Time seems to slow as we lock eyes with the guard. Its form is nebulous, a swirling mass of darkness. But there's no mistaking the surprise that ripples through its being. Vincent acts without hesitation. With a swift, practised movement, he strikes the guard with a makeshift weapon, a heavy piece of metal piping. The guard falls, its form dissipating like smoke in the air. In an instant, Vincent is on it retrieving the keys that hang from its formless waste. We don't pause to celebrate, there's no time. The keys are a small victory, but our escape is far from assured. We move, aware that the disturbance will soon be discovered. The corridors of the prison are a disorienting maze, but Vincent leads us with confidence, his memory of the layout precise. We pass other cells, some empty, others filled with the despairing faces of prisoners who dare not make a sound, their eyes filled with hope and fear as we pass. Our progress is a blend of haste and caution, a paradoxical mix that keeps our movements unpredictable. We navigate through the halls, past doors that hold untold horrors, and staircases that spiral into the unknown. Every shadow becomes a potential threat, every creak and whisper a signal to freeze and listen. Suddenly, our breakout turns into a full-blown battle. The shadows become active and aggressive, materializing from the darkness in response to our escape. They are like nightmares made manifest, their forms shifting and swirling, a tangible darkness that seeks to envelop us. Our group Fueled by desperation and the fierce will to survive, meets them head on. Vincent, leading our charge, is a force to be reckoned with. He moves with a blend of precision and ferocity, his makeshift weapons swinging in arcs that cleave through the shadows. He has become the embodiment of our collective rage and defiance. I find myself fighting back to back with my cellmate, a woman named Willow, whose strength and courage in the face of such bizarre adversaries are inspiring. She wields a piece of broken rebar like a seasoned warrior, her strikes swift and sure. We cover each other, a team forged in the crucible of captivity, now united in our struggle for freedom. The shadows are relentless, they come at us in waves, a never-ending onslaught that seeks to overwhelm and consume. But we, the escaped prisoners, fight with the ferocity of those who have nothing left to lose. Each strike, each parry, is fueled by years of oppression and the burning need for freedom. The building itself seems to react to our uprising. The stone walls tremble and dust falls from the ceiling, adding to the chaos of the battle. The air is filled with the sounds of combat, the clang of metal, the hiss of the shadows, and our own shouted commands and warnings. In this surreal and nightmarish fight, time loses meaning. We move from corridor to corridor, room to room, fighting off each new wave of shadows. They seem to be everywhere, but we push forward, driven by the knowledge that to stop, to falter, would mean certain death. Despite the terror and the strangeness of our foes, a sense of exhilaration courses through me. Each defeated shadow, each successfully navigated hallway brings us closer to our goal. We are no longer victims or passive prisoners. We are warriors, fighting for our very existence. Our battered group finally breaches the heart of the prison, the control room. This room is the nerve center of the facility. It's a high-tech enclave filled with screens and consoles, filled with data in an alien script. We burst in, our entrance marked by the heavy thud of the door slamming against the wall. The room is unguarded, a surprising but welcome anomaly. Perhaps our adversaries underestimated the chaos we could cause. The largest screen dominates the wall directly ahead, and it's here that we find our most chilling discovery yet. Displayed on it is a live feed of the wormhole, the very anomaly that brought me to this mirror Earth. But it's the strategic overlay on the screen that turns my blood to ice. There are plans, trajectories and calculations, all pointing to one horrifying objective. The Blight intends to invade our Earth. Vincent steps forward, his face a mask of horror as he reads the data. They're planning to use the wormhole, he murmurs. His voice barely a whisper. The Blight, this all-consuming darkness, isn't content with just one world. It seeks to spread to engulf everything in its path, and my home is next. The room fills with a heavy silence, each of us processing this discovery. The stakes of our struggle have just escalated exponentially. It's no longer just about escaping or even about saving this version of Earth. It's about preventing a catastrophe on a universal scale. We have to warn Earth, I say, the words coming out in a rush. The urgency of the situation lends my voice a commanding tone I barely recognise. They need to know what's coming. They need to prepare. The others nod in agreement, the weight of responsibility settling on our shoulders. We approach the consoles trying to make sense of the alien technology. The screens are a jumble of unfamiliar symbols and data streams, but the images are clear enough. Vincent, with a surprisingly deft touch, begins to manipulate the controls. We need to send a warning, any kind of signal we can manage, he mutters, his fingers flying over the buttons. The screen fluctuates, responding to his inputs, but the system is complex, designed for a mind and a purpose far removed from our own. The control room becomes our command center, a place where our fight takes on a new dimension. We are on the cusp of sending the warning, when the unthinkable happens. My cellmate, who had been intently studying one of the screens, suddenly freezes. He turns to face me slowly, and the look in his eyes sends a wave of dread crashing through me. They are empty, void of the life that had been there moments before. There's no escape, he whispers, his voice hollow, devoid of emotion. It's a statement that chills me to the bone, not just for its words, but for the creepy resignation with which they are spoken. In a flash of horrifying clarity, the pieces fall into place, a puzzle revealing a picture too dreadful to comprehend. The blight isn't planning an invasion. It's already happened. I'm not on a mirror version of Earth. I am on Earth, my Earth, but so far in the future that it is unrecognizable, altered beyond any semblance of the world I knew. The wormhole, the gateway that I had traversed, had not transported me across space but through time. It had propelled me into a future where the blight had already claimed victory, where my home had been consumed by the very darkness we were desperately trying to warn against. My mind reels from the implications, the desolation, the altered landscape, the shadows. They were not aspects of a parallel world but the tragic endpoints of my own. The people here, the resistance. They were fighting for what Earth had become. The shock of this revelation is paralyzing. The control room feels like a tomb, a mausoleum for a dead or dying world. My companions sense the change in me, their expressions turning to concern. But how can I explain? How do I tell them that their struggle, our struggle, might be for a cause already lost in the annals of time? Vincent's voice breaks through my daze. What's wrong? he asks, but his words sound distant, muffled by the torrent of thoughts raging in my mind. I look around at the faces of my fellow fighters. In their eyes, I see the reflection of my horror, the dawning understanding of the true nature of our situation. The battle we thought we were fighting for the future is actually a battle for the past. The blight, this all-consuming darkness had not only taken our world, but had rewritten our history, leaving us fighting in the shadow of what was once humanity's cradle. As this new, bleak reality settles over me, a resolve begins to take root. Whether past or future, this is still our Earth, and the fight, however futile it may seem, must continue. We cannot change what has happened, but we can still shape what will happen. The struggle against the blight, against the darkness that has engulfed our world takes on a new meaning. It becomes a fight for the memory of our home, for the legacy of a planet that once teemed with life and hope. I turn back to the console. The message must still be sent, not as a warning to prevent a future calamity, but as a call to arms for any who remain. It's a message of defiance, A declaration that even in the face of overwhelming darkness, the spirit of humanity endures. The fight continues for all who came before and for the memory of Earth as it once was. In this twisted, unrecognisable world, we stand as guardians of the past, bearers of the light in an age of shadows. The battle is not just for the world that is, but for the world that was, and the hope that it might one day be again.